Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Let's do it. Rolls out to the right. Five seconds to go in the first half. Dante fires deep to the left. Moss caught it at the 11, but now he oh, pitches look at it. This. To oh, Mo Williams. Touchdown. You gotta be kidding Right and welcome back to another episode of the Climb in the Pocket Podcast. I am your host, Jason. You can find me on Twitter at Brown Jason. And I'm here with the full crew. It's been a little while. It's gonna be like that this offseason. You know, folks are busy, and there's really not that much to talk about every week. So we're back. QB1, my man. How's it going? How's the draft guide coming? How are all things draft going? How you doing? How you been? Everything's good, man. My life is busy right now. I missed y'all, man. It seemed like it's been forever since the last time we had a pod. So I'm excited, man. And everything's going good with the draft guy. Can't complain at all. And, you know, we're going to release the launch date here soon. And I'm excited about that. Good stuff. Good stuff. And we have seen some sneak peeks of the draft guide. It is looking nice. JR has definitely stepped his game up for this next year of the guide. When it comes out, make sure you do cop that. Wide receiver one, my man, lover of snow and frolicking and all those wonderful things. Y'all hate me. How's it going, man? How you been? Hey, just trying to make my, my puppy happy, man. I feel you. The puppy look real happy, though. Yeah, real happy. Um, so was that, was that whole scene taken before or after Teddy was chilling with them socks on, though? Uh that was after. Okay. And he's wearing the socks because he hurt his paws, so we had to put some ointment on him, and they told us to put socks on to help so he doesn't lick his paws or whatever. So, Teddy, Teddy two socks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What Teddy do, man? How he hurt himself? Uh, I think salt on the on the roads uh, got into his paws, and they helped crack him uh, and dried him out a little bit. Man, that's no good. Yeah, he's been no good. homebound a little bit more than he'd like to, so. Okay, well, I guess that explains why you were out there frolicking in the snow and all that good stuff, no, making was, the puppy I was, happy. I was snow blowing, snow blowing my my driveway, and my wife had came home uh, after walking him, and he wanted to play. So I was like, "All right, let's go ahead." Hey, man, you got to do what you got to do. Hey. I understand. I understand. But y'all gotta hate. Hey, yeah. we it's not hating. We just you know, <laughs> we are we are sharing the moment. With we you. got a lot of right. snow. We got a lot of snow over here. Boy, it was, you know, it was Jason, a... how dare you make fun of Miles? <laughs> and i can't wait till prince is up next so we can yeah What's it, up, was a, it was a smooth 65 degrees today here yeah, we don't want to yeah we don't want to talk about that okay <laughs> when I was, don't, hey, don't go all kirk cousins on us now we don't what's even funnier is i was in north carolina a week and a half ago and it was 40 degrees 
See, you, you brought came, it with you. You came Miles. the wrong time. Right. Miles brought that cold with him. I'll be, I'll yeah. be in Memphis next week, though, so I'm straight. Okay. All right. Saxy Prince, my man. Yeah, man. Ice skating, hockey games, all that good stuff, man. How you been? What you been up to? I'm embracing, I'm embracing being Minnesotan. I'm saying, how, how is life in the suburbs? I'm embracing being Minnesota in ways I have not done in previous years. So... Uh, a couple weeks ago, went out ice. Well, no, it was probably over a month ago now. Uh, went out ice skating, um, and then earlier this week, I went to my first wild game. I had never gone to to wild before, and they were ass that game, y'all. Like it was, it was good for like the first like two periods or whatever, because apparently hockey you get two half times, but after that, it was just like, ooh, this is this hockey. Just, but. just understand that if you go ice fishing, we replacing you on the pod with uh, with Tim <laughs> or something. <laughs> All right. But see, the the activities that I had done, you know, they they were still for the most part on solid ground. I'm not going. I'm not going out on water like that. Nope. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's All right. Well, uh, I mean, it is the off season, so I mean, I'd be lying if I said we had a whole bunch of like super important stuff to talk about. Well, we got some stuff to talk about, so we're gonna talk about it, and. uh I guess we're going to jump right in here. Let's talk about the man who is uh got a Vikings Twitter riled up this offseason. And no, I'm not talking about Kirk Cousins. I'm talking about friend of the pod, Matthew Collar. So, Yank, I'm going to start with you on this one here. What are your thoughts on what is going on with, uh, with Matt Collar and Vikings Twitter and just what seems to be a change in tone from, from Collar since the season has ended the move to the new uh, the new platform and all of those things. Uh, yeah, Matt is in there on a, the daily, mixing it up with anyone who wants that smoke in Vikings Twitter. What are your thoughts on this new and improved, or maybe not new and improved, Matthew Collin? As being on the side of public enemy number one, I feel for Matthew Collin. You know, it's, it's very difficult when you are on the side of not being a champion of the, the you know, the starting quarterback. Um, you know, I had spoken to Matt offline a few times and whatnot, and I know he had some thoughts that he wanted to offload for a while, actually throughout the season, um, going into, you know, this past, uh, just before the season started at training camp, I, t- I talked to him a little bit and, you know, he had some, some thoughts about Kirk Cousins. And I think he's finally able to, able to unload it and kind of tell everyone and see, this is what I was talking about. This is what I was trying to get at. And it doesn't – it's not sitting well with Vikings, Vikings Twitter. They don't like their quarterbacks to get criticized. Um, and they just don't like the team to get criticized, you know. We we had a re- relatively disappointing season, and Collar is – I don't want to say he's coming out at it like an I told you so. But, you know, he's not shying away from the fact that these were some of the things that he had mentioned. And now he's kind of bringing it out to the forefront. That's not sitting well with some folks, you know. Um so yeah, I, I he's a great analyst. I think he he's great at what he does, and I just think that people probably need to step away from you know how they feel about the team and um, you know be able to objectively see. He just he just kind of speak into um, his opinions and stuff, and he's not willing to back down off of it, which is I think is what other people want. So you okay. know, I guess I feel for him. 
<laughs> but I mean, I'm sure you probably like the fact that it's not you for a change, even though that that one account that really hates Arif, uh, he had some he had some words for you too in there. But that's that's a time for another. That's a yeah, topic for another time. I don't know why we just lived in these dudes' heads for years. I'm, it means I'm doing something right. I don't do a lot of things right, but I'm doing something right. If I'm pissing off a dude who doesn't even really know me in person this consistently, yeah, yeah, yeah man, he's real mad at you. But anyway, I guess maybe he wanted that invite to the escape room. So you need to work on that for the next time. Miles, my man, what are your thoughts on all this stuff going down with the anger on Vikings Twitter? Because it does, I don't know, maybe it's because I stepped away for a little bit and I've, I've, uh, I've, I've grown soft to all that goes on on Vikings Twitter. But it seems like people are way more upset a whole lot earlier this go around in the offseason. And uh, it seems like Matt Collar has, is, is the the vessel through which they have decided to, to channel all their anger. What are your thoughts on what's going on with, with Collar and Vikings Twitter and just kind of the, uh, the general tension that seems to be out there this season versus kind of where we were at this point last offseason? Yeah, well, I mean, to start, I think the reason it started so early this year is because the Vikings didn't make the playoffs. They had invested all this money and all this this hype around the team this season, and they didn't live up to those standards, so – you look at it last year, at least last year there was, yeah, they didn't, they made it to the NFC championship and they lost and the, the game was bad, but there was, there was like a, some semblance of hope there, right? After the season, you fast forward to this season, this off season and the Vikings go eight, seven and one. The, the quarterback you paid a lot of money for that you thought was going to be the guy, not that, not, not that he's not the guy, but the guy that you thought would help take you over the top or at least bring you back to the playoffs and be more competitive than you were. Uh, didn't happen. Um, you know, various reasons, the the quarterback being probably one of the major ones, but still, you know, um, lots of different reasons why. Um, and then you, then you look at it too. You have a, you have somebody who, and, and Matthew Collar, who's not, who's not just going to talk about things like it's all, things are all like shiny and new or that like it, it's okay of what happened this last season that like those expectations just all of a sudden should should be quelled and that that we shouldn't it shouldn't be that big of a deal or anything like that which like fans should be upset so i understand fans being upset um i believe they should be holding people a little bit more accountable than they probably are but whatever um teach their own but i the one thing that i think is really getting fans riled up from caller is the fact that Caller might be the only beat writer slash like Vikings uh, writer insider, whatever you want to call it, um, around the Twin Cities that's literally talking and outside of PA because we all know PA talks Vikings at least somewhat every day. But like Caller's like the only one talking Vikings and breaking down the Minnesota Vikings basically on an everyday basis, uh, five day, at least five days a week, you know, Monday through Friday. So I think. When when you're when you're doing it that much and you're hearing about the Vikings as much as we are through Score North, uh, the new Score North, I think you're really you're really getting it every day in your face in a way more than we were seeing before. Like yeah, last you know previous years, you're you're hearing things, um, things are on Twitter, people are talking about stuff, but now you're literally getting podcasts, you're getting you know tweets, you're getting articles from people like Caller on like a daily basis. So it really is like in your face all the time. And when you have someone like Caller and, and he's using stuff and watching watching tape and talking with people that have watched all the tape from like PFF and stuff like that, and they're telling him some of the things that 
on why things didn't go well. And that, that really kind of backed up what, what Prince or Yinka said of, of, you know, some of the stuff that we feared going into the season with the quarterback and with some of the offensive deficiencies that we knew going in um, when, when that stuff literally happened um, throughout the season, it's, it's really hard for, for people, I think, to not, not be okay with it, but to kind of understand it and deal with it because it, it, it feels really negative from what caller's doing, but at the same time, what caller's trying to do is pinpoint that there are issues, there are things that need to be fixed. How how are they fixed? How can they be fixed? And if if they're fixable at all? And I think I think that's one thing that um, that caller is really kind of just bringing to light. And for me, I mean, yeah, I can I can feel like a, um quite a bit because you know I live here in the Twin Cities, so like I hear it, I see it. It's all over. The, it's kind of all over the place here. Um, but I think that's a great thing for him and their and their brand. So, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy the work he does. He does fantastic work. Um, I, I do think they kind of harp on Kirk a little bit more than they probably need to. But at the same time, to Caller's point that he's mentioned on his radio show, Kirk Cousins is the quarterback. He's that guy. He's the – I don't like bringing up the money every single time you talk about Kirk Cousins, but he is the guy that you paid to be your franchise quarterback, your franchise player. So he's the face of the franchise, whether you want him to be or not, or whether you agree agree that he is or not. It it is the case because of the money that happened and the position he plays. So he's going to be the guy that you talk about. And then when you see guys like Kirk Cousins go out on on social media and are everywhere, um, he's going to be talked about even more. So I I just think there's there's all that. I just think it feels like a lot of fatigue. I think some people really kind of need to step back and kind of step away from, from football for a couple of weeks, maybe, and just kind of come back and, you know, and, and let, let give yourself some time to rest up because uh, trying to do it 24 seven and just feeling anger all the time. It, it's not healthy. Yeah, it is really, it should not, it's not that serious. And uh, JR, my man, as someone who is, uh, you know, you, you, you grind out a, a lot of content on a regular basis. You're, you're in there, you're interacting with people on Twitter, a lot of the time and for the most part you you you'll stand by what you what you believe but you find a way to do it without really ruffling too many feathers a lot of the way uh what are your thoughts on kind of all of this dissension all of this this drama and anger and 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 foolishness that seems to be kind of swirling around collar and vikings twitter at the moment i think a lot of it is just built up frustration and a lot of the blame doesn't go to kirk cousins because the scapegoat is always the offensive line but collar just doesn't accept that and he's going to sit atop his throne and <laughs> he's going to always have his reasoning for why Kirk Cousins did struggle. And whenever he does go out on a limb and repeatedly says that stuff, it's like kicking a hornet's nest with Vikings Twitter. And there's going to be people that just constantly come after him. And I mean, Collar is being a bit nitpicky with, you know, complaining about his vacation tweets and all that stuff. But that's just the stance that he's decided to take. And he's firmly entrenched in doing that. And there's always going to be one of those type of personalities there is in every single city. And that's something that he's decided to do. And I mean, he definitely has the opinion of do that, of doing that and the right to do that. And I mean, I'm completely fine with it because everyone we know on this pod that we've gone back and forth about Kirk cousins. And yes, it was some of the offensive lines fault, but he did play poorly at some points during the year as well. And that's all that Kyler is saying that everything, you can't just look at the numbers with Kirk cousins because a lot of his stats were during garbage time periods uh, throughout the season and throughout games. And that's all Kyler is trying to say as well. And he just didn't play well. And that was one of the big reasons why 
the uh, the Vikings went eight seven and one, but <laughs> I mean Kyle is going to continue to have that stance, and I mean he has the data and the information to back it up and everything that he's saying. So I mean I'm completely fine with it. I think that like when you really break it down, I feel like that's probably the thing that makes people the most upset about all of this is that they come flying at Kyler, but like he actually knows what he's talking about in all these things, and so they come with like feelings and emotion, and Kyler will just go write an article packed with you know, stats, and in some cases film to back up the points that he's making, and they're just frustrated. But I think everyone made a similar point as we went through this. None of this should be that serious. It is just football. This is, it's just football, and beyond football, it is the offseason, and it's just Twitter. Everybody needs to just calm down. Go spend some time with your family. Go outside. Do something. Yelling on Twitter all the time. But JR, you and Miles both alluded to the fact that Kirk Cousins is the lightning rod. He is the reason. He is the person that is kind of at the center of all these debates. And um, there was a topic that came up on Score North. It wasn't Collar's uh, pod, it was a different show. I think it was Purple Daily or something like that. They asked a question that I want to ask you guys because, um, you know, it was right after Kirk went and, you know, he was posting this thing about like, what should I give away? And then, you know, he went to Miami and had his tweet there where people kind of, you know, lost it on him. And uh, the question that they asked was, is Kirk Cousins trying to do too much? So, JR, I'm going to throw this one to you first here. It's the offseason. Is Kirk politicking too much this offseason? And is a lot of, I guess, the quote-unquote backlash, as people want to call it, even though it's just it's Twitter, people saying stuff on Twitter, backlash, yeah, calm down, people. But is a lot of, like, the negative sentiment that he's receiving, is he bringing that on himself? What are your thoughts on all that? And what, what is your answer to the question, like, is Kirk doing maybe a bit too much with, with some of what he's doing on Twitter this offseason? I don't think he's doing too much. I mean, he's, I mean, the LeBron James tweet or anything like that, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, this is a touchy subject for me because y'all know how I feel about big time athletes staying on social media. I just think it's successful because of the replies that they're going to get. And I mean, let's be honest, guys, they read the replies, no matter what they say, whenever they tweet, they're going to read the, the replies, no matter how many followers that they do have, and whether it's a couple million or even a couple hundred thousand, they're always going to read their followers and we saw a great example with Xavier Rhodes where he was really interacting with the fans and there was a lot of negative reactions when he just asked a simple question what makes an elite corner or what characteristics make an elite corner and people were replying well not you last year just little stuff like that I just don't like athletes seeing that stuff because it just it just plants a negative thought in their head and something that always sticks with them and I'm sure Kirk Cousins does read the replies to his tweets and very many of them aren't positive. I can guarantee you that. And I don't even follow Kirk Cousins, honestly. But I've seen the tweets that he does uh, put out there. And I'm sure the replies have been really bad to this point, especially coming off the 8-7-1 eight and se- eight, seven and one year that he did have. And a lot of people are blaming him, uh, like Collar, because of the year that he did have. And, I mean, this went back and forth as far as the seesaw factor with him. And you can blame him for some stuff. And some stuff really wasn't his fault. But... I don't have a problem with some of the stuff that he has tweeted out. I just have a problem with how frequently he has done it because I know the replies are really bad. Okay, so you don't feel like he's necessarily doing too much, but if you were advising him, you would just say, get off social media. Yeah, just just in general. Just just stay off, man. Just right now, it isn't like you're coming off a Super Bowl victory or anything like that. Just stay off social media, man. There's nothing good that can happen for athletes on social media, in my opinion. Okay. I agree. I hold on. I agree, I agree with Jr. Like 
there's nothing good that comes from social media. We all know that. Like we, we, we literally see it every day. But like at the end of the day, too, like Kirk, Kirk's allowed to live his life. He's allowed, like people of our generation. They like they like to be in the spotlight, or they like to be on social media. So they like they like to to post things and and do all that. And like that's like Kirk's in that realm. Like I I understand the situation he's in, but like. People just need to let him live his life. Like he was doing this last off season, and so, nobody, nobody bat an eye about it. Like they, they. Yeah. So the question that they were asking really wasn't so much about him posting or not posting, right? Because yeah, like you said, everyone can post and and you know, live their life, do what they want to on social media. So it wasn't even so much that he needs to get off social media. Social media. It was is he doing too much in the kind of yeah politicking, building a brand, trying to like sharing moments that maybe seem a bit manufactured or not necessarily authentic and then having like the PR blow up in his face a little bit type of things like that kind of those were kind of the questions that were being asked when they're asking if he's doing too much not so much like oh I tweeted a picture of my my food or like here's a picture of my kid it was like things that are designed to get a certain sort of reaction out of the public versus like you know authenticity I guess maybe is where they were going down the is he doing too much on on social media type of question yeah I mean I look at it as, I mean, like to your point, Jason, I mean, he's trying to build a brand, right? That's the way, that's social media's the way for him to do it. Um, so, I mean, I'm not mad at him for that. Like, the, like these, these people want to, we see, we literally see people get famous from social media on like a daily basis. So <laughs> if there's a way, like if, if Kurt can use social media for him to earn more money, more power to him. I mean, I understand where people are coming from. But, I mean, it, it just, it's, it's just not something that bothers me. Okay, and I yeah, I feel like you know when it comes to this stuff, we're all fairly level-headed. But you know, again, you know, just having the conversation, Prince, to to kind of go off the point that Miles just made there, uh, is it possible for like the starting quarterback of an NFL team to build their brand in social media if the team maybe isn't doing as well as the fan base would have expected? Uh you know, that's a challenging one. You know, it's 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 more or less that just being a starting quarterback, I think you're already going to have some semblance of a brand. Um, just because you become the face of the franchise. So, I mean, that's already there. Um, to go to answer a portion of the last question you asked, I don't think that he's doing too much. I think he's just, that's just him. Like, yes, he is. He tr- maybe trying to put forth a positive message around himself. Yes, but I think he's he's also just kind of living his life. Um, I, I'm going to pair it what JR said. I think, you know, starting quarterbacks, I think probably just in the, <laughs> in, in the best, um, interest of themselves to not have social media, but no, I think I think he's perfectly within his rights to you know try to build his brand how he thinks it's it's best. If it's you know putting out uplifting motivational things, if it's trying to give giveaways away, if it's trying to you know just be overall just positive and stuff, he, he, more power to him. But um, you know, I'm just not in, I'm not in the in the boat where I care enough to have a negative a strong negative opinion against it all right yeah i agree with everything all y'all just said and uh yeah just it was an interesting topic they had some some thoughts so i figured i'd get y'all's on it and uh again you know because it is he's the quarterback and so most conversations do revolve around kirk and i think it was miles who, who said it that part of the reason that you know people and jr brought up the point as well that people are kind of trying to pin everything on the offensive line whereas college pointing out that you know it's not just the offensive line uh kirk plays a role but it brings us to the offseason, and what do we need to do to fix things this offseason? Most people are saying offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. 
But then obviously over the past couple of weeks, the drama with the Steelers, Antonio Brown and rumors that he could be had for a second round pick and things of that sort. And so the next blood feud that ripped Vikings Twitter apart was the ridiculous hypothetical of um, Antonio Brown versus a good interior offensive lineman. And uh, yes, it is a hypothetical. And in this hypothetical, cost is removed from the equation. Um, I will say I'm surprised how passionate people were about this one, given that it's a completely made up conversation with no real stakes that can never possibly happen. But people seem to get really angry about this one. And again, you know, since we're just pulling topics out of uh, the, the social media ether to talk about something during the offseason, I'm going to get all of your takes on this so people can yell at you after we drop this pod. JR, Antonio Brown versus very good interior offensive lineman. Which side <laughs> of this debate do you fall on? This shouldn't even be a debate, man. It's Antonio Brown. Like, you talk about an elite type of talent, a guy that's a future Hall of Famer, putting up gaudy numbers. I mean, he's had over, what, 1,200 yards the past six years. And I know he's not going to put up the same type of production just because of his surroundings, because of Thielen and Diggs being in the picture. But whenever you can add that elite type of talent to the perimeter, I'm all for it. And he makes things – he makes life easier on everybody, not only the offensive line, because he can get the – you can get the ball out quick to him, and he's a guy that can take the ball the distance in the blink of an eye. And I think he's more of a down-the-field threat as opposed to what Adam Thielen and Diggs are just because he can break a play open at any moment. I think he's much better after the catch than both of those guys. So he just put up ridiculous type of numbers, and he can play in the slider outside. Wherever you do want to play him, he's dominant in the red zone. He's everything that you want in a wide receiver. Yes, he's not big like Julio or any other of those top echelon receivers around the league, but he makes up for it with his separation skills. And that's something that Diggs and Thielen are very good at, but I don't think they're as good as separating as Antonio Brown is or has been over his career. And whenever you're able to add that type of weapon to the offense, I think you have to be able to take it. And, I mean, if the Vikings, if they upgrade to a B-level type of guard, you're not, you're still not going to see a huge impact there, in my opinion, as opposed to if you add an elite talent like Antonio Brown to the picture. Okay. And uh, from the perspective, again, because, you know, people, obviously we go back, Kurt was pressured at a very high rate last season. So if you do add a player like an Antonio Brown, let's say the Vikings are running a lot more of their offense out of a three wide receiver set um, as a quarterback, what kind of things would you be looking at in that circumstance to, I guess, help mitigate some of that pressure that you would be dealing with? How are you going to be able to take advantage of those weapons if, say, the offensive line is still a little bit below par? So with Antonio Brown, the one thing I like to say about him is you can throw what I call blind throws or complete faith type of throws. And that's something that Big Ben has made a living off doing with him. We saw Kirk do it at some points during the year with Diggs and Thielen, but he needs to do that more consistently, in my opinion, especially when he gets one-on-one coverage with these guys. Just throw the ball up. Just make him a playmaker and allow him to make plays. That's what Antonio Brown does, and that's something that can maybe overcompensate what they're lacking at offensive line. You can get the ball out quick even if it's in a short intermediate or even the deep areas because he's going to eat up cushions so quickly that you can throw these faith type of throws or you can throw quick screens out to him on the perimeter if teams don't decide to press him and he can make one guy miss and take it the distance. So that's what I'm meaning by overcompensating and why he would be more valuable than an interior offensive lineman. 
Okay, love it. You know, we we take the the joke question and we still bring in some deep analysis. That's good stuff right there, Jr. Miles. I mean, I'm asking the question, but given you know we call you wide receiver one around here, I feel like I don't even really need to. So why don't you tell me why Antonio Brown is the right answer? I mean, he's literally. I, I put a tweet out. He's literally a top three wide receiver right now. Like, who wouldn't want that on their team? I don't care what other receivers you have on your team. He would literally come in and be the wide receiver one on the team. Like, I've seen people come in and be like, oh, but to make him your wide receiver three. No, that man would not be your wide receiver three. <laughs> He'd be your wide receiver one, and he would just instantly make that offense, the overall offense, better because are you really going to stack the box against uh, and, and try to stop the run when you have Diggs, Thielen, and, and Antonio Brown? Are you really going to try to pressure um, – like, like, you just throw a lot – the, the offense would be able to throw a lot of quicker passes, um, get guys out into space, literally just spread teams out and dare dare them to try to single to um, to single single cover one one of those three receivers, like dare them, because if you do, it's it's a wrap. So um, all three guys can go can can be, can hit home runs. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, a, a a left guard would be fantastic. Like a really good left guard would be great to have, but. Um, you look at who's on the market, and it's really not. It doesn't even pale in comparison to the kind of impact that an Antonio Brown will make on an, any offense, let alone the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, so let's pull it away from me. So is there any offensive lineman that you would take over Antonio Brown? Or is there maybe, okay, maybe not over. Is there any offensive lineman that you would take where it would make you think about it Versus just kind of running up and taking Antonio Brown right. if you were given the choice of both. Does it have to be guard? Any offensive lineman. Um, like when he's healthy and when he's 100%, like Tyron Matthews probably like the arguably the the best Ty- left tackle in the game. <laughs> I, I know you said Honey Badger, and, I, and I'm going to go ahead and jump. Did I say Matthews? Yeah, wow. you How you going to say Tyron Matthews? I'm Stephen A. Smith today, my bad. Oh. Um, <laughs> Tyron <laughs> uh, Smith, okay. um, when healthy, he's arguably the, the best left tackle and probably one of the best left tackles we've seen in a long time. So, um, or, or Hunter Henry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, no, Tyron Smith, uh, Trent Williams is probably another one that's that's up there too. Um, otherwise, there aren't there aren't too many guys that I'd. Mm. <laughs> okay, so yeah, no, not really. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it had like an elite left tackle, and that's about it. Okay, Saxy Prince, man, how about you? Where, where, where you, where did you fall in the uh, the Antonio Brown sweepstakes? And I want to get your thoughts on a, on a point that Flip made on on the timeline, which is, does it make sense to keep investing in the passing game if we don't have faith that Kirk Cousins is the person who should? have the offense really relying on him that much. So there could be diminishing returns on your investment if you get Antonio Brown because you're still relying then on Kirk Cousins to make the right decisions at the right points. And last season showed that maybe you don't want to rely that much on Kirk Cousins. Right. Uh, I guess the first talk about the um, Antonio Brown thing because it affected Viking Twitter so much. Um, I guess I'm becoming less surprised at, I mean, 
when people get upset on on Vikings Twitter, it usually seems to be the same culprits over and over again. And it's just it, maybe it's still surprising me a little bit how upset people get at the fact that people are even having a hypothetical conversation, yet people will constantly say, oh, give uh, Everson Griffin away for like two firsts and, and a third for Osemily or something like that, and someone would do it. So it just always surprises me that uh, how, like, again, how passionate in the opposite direction some folks will get. With that being said, you know, I would take Antonio Brown in a heartbeat because he automatically becomes your your number one wide receiver. He's one of the best wide receivers in the game. Um, and, you know, more weapons for Kirk Cousins, I'm very much a, um advocate of because I think you'd see the offense get closer to what we thought the offense was going to be. Um, as far as uh, I'm, I'm with Miles also, you, you guys know how I feel about Tyron Smith. He's like, he's just so much fun to watch. Um, but I don't think there's another, I don't think there's another player that, you know, I could arguably say um, would help more than like an explosive weapon, like uh, a number one type wide receiver or a, you know, or a move, like a really just athletic tight end or whatnot. So that's why I'm still in the Antonio Brown camp. And I, I, and I get what Flip was saying. He's just like, you know, if we can't, if we can't get Kirk to, you know, be the kind of quarterback that we need him to be because he's under so much pressure, you know, is is adding another weapon really going to help? And I think there's an argument that can be made that no, no, it won't. Um, But, you know, we also have seen Kirk when he, he does have a lot of good things, um, work in in his favor so that's why i'm kind of an advocate of you know the uh completely dream hypothetical never going to happen scenario um which i think that we should be able to just discuss even if we say like we we preface it with like yeah i don't think this is ever going to work or this would never happen but it's still fun to say like hey hypothetically speaking there should be really no conversation on a, a left guard versus a number one wide receiver okay well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it should go without saying, but you know, it's uh, it, it's where we are, and it is the off season, and so we are gonna, you know, argue about any and everything that we can argue about. But the Antonio Brown conversation is, uh, you know, it really breaks us, brings us back to really another conversation. It's actually a real conversation, a real football conversation, and one that we've talked about a little bit. Miles has uh been beating the drum for this really all off season, um, and you know what we can or what we should do to maximize Kirk Cousins' chances of being successful as we move forward into year two of this uh, this kind of new era of the the new era of, of Vikings football under Zimmer, where we do have the high-priced uh, quarterback and we're building in maybe a, a different way as we move forward. And um, it's should we really go all out in investing in weapons around Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins, or should we be going all out this offseason and invest in offensive line. And Miles, I know you have some thoughts on this. You've written about the offensive line, but also you've been doing a lot of work kind of, you know, digging through the tape and uh, and looking for different things and different weapons that maybe we could add in. As you're thinking about where we kind of move forward with things with this Vikings team and, and this offseason, what are your thoughts on the philosophy you would like to see them approach the rest of the offseason with as they build now around Kirk Cousins as we move forward, or is it the best way to build around and help Kirk Cousins maybe to keep bolstering their strengths so that Kirk 
isn't asked to do as much as we move forward. Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the things the Vikings did this offseason to help Kirk Cousins the most was the offensive coaching staff. Bringing in, obviously bringing back uh, Kevin Stefanski was probably priority number one. Um, but then getting a guy like Gary Kubiak, who has the history he does in that Mike Shanahan style zone run scheme, uh, play action heavy um, offense, offensive scheme that I think we, we've seen Kirk Cousins excel in in Washington. Um, they're going to look to run that same kind of offense now in Minnesota. And I think that's really going to help Kirk Cousins because it's a lot of familiarity of what he's used to, what his skill set is, and kind of the best way to maximize his game is, is to do that. And I think, I think that was really important for them to do that. Um, I'm not comparing the Vikings offense to, <laughs> to the Rams, but like you're going to see, if you're looking at similar concepts, you're going to see similar things between the offenses in terms of the, of the play calling and, and the style of play. There might, obviously there isn't going to be as much gadgetry and, and stuff like that, that the Rams do. I don't think we're going to see that with the Vikings, but like some of the concepts and similar, uh, play calling you're going to see um, from from Minnesota this year, which I think I'm I'm pretty excited about because um, Kirk Cousins, when you get him under center, you ask him to play action and and make quick quick decisions and throw on time and throw on rhythm. He's a really really good quarterback. He can he can really maximize uh, um, his playmakers and he can really maximize an offense when he's asked to do those kind of things and be in be in rhythm. Um, what I'd really like to do, and I think uh, Sage Rosenfeld, I heard him talk on Score North. I think I met him earlier today with with Matthew Collar. Um, he talked about, and it, it kind of had me thinking a little bit more, that the Vikings really could be looking at, based off of the offense they're going to run, that number two tight end is something that they really should look to address, that that guy that's a seam, a seam buster, a guy that can get down the seam, that can, that can win one-on-one matchups, that can kind of separate, um, that move tight end that I know we've, we've all – all talked about for for a while now for the Vikings and some of that that we could that could create a mismatch um, with linebackers and safeties. Um, he he talked a lot about that and that in this offense could be really important and could be something that I hope that they look to address early in the draft because yeah there are a couple guys in free agency you could look to bring in that could I think could um, could do that you know there's a um, Austin Safarian Jenkins I think. Uh, um, who's another name I'm thinking of? Uh, Max Williams. I know he, he's a former Gopher. He 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 tested decently at the combine a few years back. He's still fr- fairly young, graded up pretty well from PFF. Um, he's a guy that that could, they could look to bring in um, on top of the draft too. Which I think you know, if you look at guys like uh, T.J. Hawkinson from Iowa, Noah Fant, Irv Smith. I'm a big fan of Jay Sternberger from. Uh, Texas A&M, those kind of guys could come in and do do what you need that number two tight end or that move tight end to do in this offense while you let uh, um, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen do their thing on the outsides. So that'd be one, my, one of my key areas to address. And obviously we know offensive line's a, a key point here. And I, we, I think we all agree that they do need to upgrade the talent that they have along the offensive line. How they go about it is going to be key because you have so many different moving pieces that we don't know what they're going to do. What's the plan with Pat Elfline? He, yes, he showed promise as a rookie. 
he was hurt all off all off season last year and came in like the third week of the season and was pretty rusty and he did not play well. I mean, straight up, it was not good. Whether some of that was was injury related and rust, or some of that was just maybe he's not as good as we 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 had hoped. Um, you kind of need to figure out: is he going to be that guy you think could stay at center and be that guy, or do you think you could bring in a guy like Matt Paradis or Mitch Morse in in free agency that those guys are really good centers and kick Pat Elfline out to guard because I think that's a scenario the team, the Vikings should really be considering um, because you really kill two birds with one stone by signing one um, upgrading at center, which I think we all, and JR, you probably attested even more so, how important having a really good center is um, and then finding a way to fill in those two guard spots. Um, they've, they've kicked the tires on, or they've talked about it at least of, of moving Riley Reef inside the guard and um, Brandon Thorne. Uh, I know he's a, a big offensive line, like guru on, on Twitter, who's talked about it. And he believes like out of the guys that could do it from tackle reef kind of fits that skill set to do it. I'm not saying that they should, but he fit, he fits that skill set of a guy that it might, it might be, it might work out pretty decently if they were to do it. But uh, I think right now, based off his contract, you're not really going to be able to cut him. So moving him might not make the most sense. So maybe being able to find a way for me, what they really should do is address offensive line and free agency. You should bring in at least one surefire starter in free agency. Um, probably bring in a, a veteran like backup, you know, a, a Nick Easton or even a Tom Compton just to be like kind of depth and then look for the draft early to address that as well. Um, and then I brought out a, um, a way for the Vikings to, they should really look at adding a third wide receiver in the draft. Um, they could do it cheaply in free agency as well, but I think the draft might be the best way to do it because you do it for cheap and you, you can get a guy that you can, you can turn into and, and kind of develop, um, even though we've seen them kind of fail at that a little bit. But um, bringing in a guy maybe in, you know, on day two of the draft that could come in and do a little bit of different things for you, maybe it, he could return some kicks and punts could be you know kind of a gadget player for you so um there's a few names out there that i like um you know i, I mentioned i had, had some tweets out there today terry mclaren um from uh ohio state's a guy i really like um penny hart um i'm a big hunter renfro fan from clemson i think he's a really good player he's probably going to go on day three but he's kind of got that chad bb to his game but i think he's a better version of chad bb is um uh, and a guy that could come in and be a slot receiver from day one. So he's a really, a guy I really like a lot. Okay. That was a lot. Miles putting out all those thoughts. Yeah. I'm glad you got all those thoughts there. Uh, just, you know, write them down, post them, you know, folks would love to read them. I'm sure. Saxy Prince. Wait, people read nowadays? Every now and again. Every now and again, people all read right. some stuff. People right. read some things that you put out. You know, the last couple have done pretty well, Miles. Yeah. yeah. Pretty well. So, Saxy Prince, Miles pretty much summed up everything that could and should be done. But what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, what the Vikings could do to uh, to help improve things around Kirk Cousins short of bringing in uh, Tyron Matthew and uh, Antonio Brown? There's another guy um, <clears throat> that I've, I, I kind of – I think I tossed to you guys maybe – I don't know if it was last offseason or maybe the offseason before that, but um, – it probably was last offseason when I when I thought, you know, maybe the Vikings should explore bringing back Cordero Patterson. You know, I think he would immediately solve your, you know, your kick returning 
problems. Not that you had problems, but you know, not as explosive this past year than you have been in the past uh, season. Um, you know, and he would be kind of that gadget guy that could, you know, open things up for Stefan Diggs and Adam Thien. And also he, we've also, we've already seen him be a playmaker once the ball is really in his hands. So he's, he's one guy that I would, I, would, I think the Vikings could consider, you know, bringing back and having as a weapon. Um, I'm with Miles. I really, really <laughs> probably second or third season off season in a row where I'm harping for uh, a third wide receiver, someone who's really going to, Spell Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, and maybe even a guy who has a lot more upside than those guys. So not just thinking of getting them a wide receiver, you know, three, but you know, potentially trying to get yourself another top end wide receiver as well too. Um, this can, you know, obviously potentially give you some some leverage down the road with both Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. But um, I'm not sure if that guy's in this draft. But like Miles said, Miles mentioned had a few guys that were you know, do have quite a bit of talent that, you know, can um, you can develop into being um, some studs for your offense. Um, I'm with Miles and, and JR. You have to – I think you have to bring in at least a, 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 a serviceable guy on the offensive line to not have to force that pick uh, at 18. It really gives you the ability to move back if there's not a, not a stud there. Um, and I'm not saying this to troll by any means. Um, I really think the Vikings, if there's a guy that's available either at 18 or they move down or whatever the case is, I think drafting a quarterback is something that they need to need to consider. Um, not necessarily because of Kirk Cousins, but more so because of, um, you know, we, we were fortunate enough Kirk Cousins didn't get injured this last offseason. But, you know, as we've come to see, uh, you know, having one season with uh, this offensive line doesn't necessarily ensure you're going to have another full season with this offensive line. So bringing another quarterback that does have quite a bit of upside, you know? Um, and it, it, there's a guy that you can continue to develop. I know they have Kyle Slaughter that they have, but, you know, if they're not for sure that Kyle Slaughter is going to be a, a backup for the future, you know, maybe you start to uh, think about offloading him um, real soon, whether the next off season or, you know, even sometime this off season for a team who needs a, needs a quarterback. So um those are some some areas that I'm hoping that the Vikings will address in some way or another. All right, Jr. Bring us home. What is the general way you'd like to see the Vikings approach this off season as it come as it pertains to either building around Kirk Cousins or fortifying the rest of the team as we move things forward? So I actually was sitting back thinking about this today, and I know it's risky as hell, but it's a way you can create depth with the offensive line. So I had them signing Paradis and putting him at center. You move Elf line to either guard spot. It doesn't really matter. But you move Reef to another guard spot, and then you keep O'Neal at right tackle. Now this draft class is really strong at tackle, so now you can draft your left tackle, or if you want to move, O'Neal to the left tackle spot you want to draft your right tackle so let's just say they take Jawan Taylor for example so from left to right your offensive line will be O'Neal at left tackle you'll have Reef or Elf line at left guard and then and then of course you have line at the right guard spot and now you'll have Jawan Taylor or whoever that's just a way you can create depth and then you can now sign a guy like Nick Easton for insurance just because I don't think anybody else is probably going to sign him just because it's so risky at this point. So now you're creating and you have that six 
bench and you're creating that competition as well. So it's a really risky move. And you you guys know I absolutely hate shuffling offensive line, but they're going to have to do something about this offensive line. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do with Elf line. And they're probably thinking that maybe with offseason, he's able to recover and get back stronger and get that strength back in his shoulder. But he has not been good. That's not a secret at all. And I think the love for honeymoon period is really over with Elf line. This is a big year for him. He's entering year three. We need to see some type of production with him, and we've seen it in spots, but his consistency has just been poor to me at this point, and you think he'd be a bit further along than what he is at this point, and I know he had the shoulder last year, so I'm really going to be keying in on him this year now that he has a full offseason to get his strength back up in his shoulder, and I think this is really, I don't want to say a make or break year for him, but I think this might be his last chance to prove that he can be a long-term starter on that interior. And if it doesn't work out for him at center, they're going to have to find a way to move him to the, one of those guard spots or just simply move on from him because he's going to be entering a contract year, not this year, but in 2020. So they're going to have to have a general idea of what to do with him, but they're going to have to get creative with this offensive line. And that's Dennison's job. And we'll see what Q, Kubiak does with this zone scheme to help alleviate uh, some of their flaws to this point. But it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with this offense going to be priority number one for them this offseason I think and they're going to have to find a way to find I think a versatile tight end too and I think they're going to have to they're going to have to take one of these guys on day two or early on in day three it just makes all the sense in the world they have a prime opportunity with it being a class and they're going to have their pick of the litter Miles mentioned Jay Sternberger he's a guy that I like Isaac Nada and Dawson Knox are two other guys that I do like. They didn't really produce, but they have that upside that you love to see, and they're more versatile than what a Sternberger is, who is more of just that receiving type of option. So they're going to have their pick of the litter at tight end, then wide receiver three miles already touched on that. Tennessee, I think this is going to be an offensive type of offseason, but the one defensive position that they do need to address are two. I should say it's defensive tackle and linebacker. I don't think Anthony Barr is coming back. I've been saying that for months. I just don't see them paying two off-ball linebackers that much money. There's no other team across the league that has that much money tied into linebackers or off-the-ball linebackers. And I just think Anthony Barr is just ready to go. I think he's ready to get paid, and he's just get paid before him. And I just don't think he's being seen at this point. And I think he feels the exact same way because he's been waiting around, waiting around for his it came to this point, but we'll see how things go at the combine next week because that's where negotiations really happen. All right. Well, that's it. That's all, gentlemen. We've gone through quite a bit of really, really, really intense, deep dive off-season debates, and there'll be many more to come. But before we get up out of here, JR, you know, we know you launched the uh, the big board, the uh, sorry, the draft board podcast over at Blue Wire Sports Podcasting. And uh, I know we talked about the first one, kicked it off there with Dalton Reisner. You've gotten into uh, you know some quarterbacks and some other things, but you've had some pretty uh, some pretty big guests on in the uh, in the draft community here over the past couple of weeks, I guess. So if you could let the people know who you've had on, where they can find the podcast, and uh, you know when they should be looking for the new one before we get up out of here. Yeah. So the past two weeks, I've had Dane Brugler on uh, about wide receivers, and then this past week. Well, this week, I should say, I had Matt Miller on from Bleacher Report to talk about running back. I'm going to bring on so many guests as well, and probably not any 
uh, in the next few weeks just because they're so focused on the combine and the interviews and they have a lot of stuff going on. So I like to leave those guys alone, but we're going to get some more draft experts on in the coming weeks as well. So be on the lookout for that. I'm on iTunes, every single type of form you can get the podcast on. It is on. So just make sure to subscribe and leave a five star review. Boom. And uh, Jay, I might have broken up a little bit for you right there, but the podcast is available everywhere you can get podcasts. And if you listen to it, we're sure you'll like it. Leave the man a five-star review so other people can find it, so they can listen to it and like it. Leave five-star reviews and so on and so forth. And while you're at it, go find Climbing the Pocket. Give this a five-star review as well, because this is where it all started. And it's fantastic. And you love it. But that's it. That's all. That's all we got tonight. Uh, gentlemen, as always, thank you for coming on. Listeners, as always, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, yeah, we will be back and we will be back a little sooner this time around. Y'all have a good one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.